Well, good afternoon. And if you don't know me, my name's Ian. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and it's my privilege this afternoon to bring to you a, a message from the Bible, God's Word. And uh, you, you may not have noticed this outside for the last week or so, but it's the summer. At least, at least technically speaking, it's the summer. I always feel like, uh, you know, for some of you I know are not born in the UK, and I sometimes need, feel I need to apologize to you for when I say the word summer, which is not what you call summer. It's what we call summer, you know. The rain gets warmer, and that kind of thing. But one of the things I, I love about summer is uh, kids' summer camps. Kids' summer camps are fantastic. I have to say I'm a huge fan of Christian kids' summer camps. Uh, they're great fun for the kids, hopefully, obviously. Uh, what the kids don't know, of course, is that it's even more fun for the adults. They have a far better time than the kids normally do. And what is a summer camp without swimming? What is a summer camp without swimming? Whether it is indoor swimming pools, lakes, the sea, whatever it is, can't beat it. But do spare a thought for the lifeguards. Do spare a thought for the lifeguards because there are hidden dangers outside of the water as well as inside the water. At these camps, the lifeguards are usually older teens, perhaps folks in their early 20s. And let's be honest, there is a lot of exposed flesh around the swimming pool. Uh, We were once at a camp where the young lifeguards had been honest and open about this and had recognized the temptations that that meant to them. And so they turned to the Bible for wisdom. They turned to the Bible, and in the book of Job, chapter 31, verse 1, they read this. They read, this is Job speaking. Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a young woman. And so they used this to keep each other accountable. Every day they would check in with each other, the young lifeguards. They didn't let anyone else know what was going on. They just said, how's your 31 today? 31 referring to the chapter number of that passage. How's your 31 today? And they were open and honest about whether they were struggling with that temptation. That's a good example of what Luke has been talking about for the past couple of weeks. What he describes as wisdom. The ability to skillfully and successfully live even when the rules don't apply. The ability to skillfully and successfully live even when the rules don't apply. And if you want to think more about that and hear more about that, we've got Luke's two talks already loaded up on the website, well worth checking out. But we're continuing that summer series today, and we're thinking about uh, the idea of wisdom from the book of Proverbs, and we're now getting down into the real nitty-gritty. We're talking about sex and sexuality. What does the book of Proverbs have to say to us on the subject of our sexuality? And how can we be foolproof in this area of our lives? So, uh, if you get one of the Red Church Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 5, that's on page 689, uh, excuse me, 639. Just while you're turning there, let me remind you, let me remind you that this first part of the book of Proverbs is uh, written from the point of view of a father giving advice to a son. Uh, 
Uh, now, sure, sex and sexuality is often on young men's minds, let's be honest. But let's also be honest, it's also on the rest of our minds as well. So although we're reading it from that viewpoint, we're showing this from a point of view of this is something we all think about on a regular basis. And if you're taking notes today, and I'd encourage you to be doing that, uh, if you're taking notes today, really we're going to be thinking about three points. That sexuality is a good gift from God. That we often misuse the good gift of sexuality. And to think about moving towards the good gift of sexuality. You'll see those up there. And we're going to, as part of this, we're going to be talking about some very practical things. And also, to be honest with you, do please bear with me during this talk. There are so many different experiences of sexuality in this room that it would be really tricky to cover each one in great detail. But I trust the Lord that there is uh, something here for all of us. We trust the Lord that this word will speak into your situation today, whatever that is. It's certainly going to speak into my own heart, I know. And let me also be clear that I struggle with these issues as much as anyone else. I do not want you to hear a judgment from this when I'm bringing you this message. Whatever your situation is, you are welcome and loved here at REC. However, we do also want to be really clear with you about what God says. We would far rather that you heard the truth and not some warm, comfortable fluffy thing, whatever that is. So, let's have a look. Uh, first of all, our first heading, sexuality as a good gift from God. And if you found uh, Proverbs chapter 5, I'm going to start looking there in verse 15. So that's Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Let me read a couple of verses to you there. Uh, Drink water from your own system, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. So just in case you're not sure, just in case you're a bit puzzled about this, this is talking about marriage, this is talking about sex. Okay? If you go back into the beginning of chapter 5, You can see the writer giving a strong warning against adultery, but then he's going on here to show the reader, us, the alternative, to talk about sexual relationships within marriage. And the language is a bit strange at first glance. It's cisterns and wells and fountains. This is a metaphor for sex. This is about sex. This is about the women, and this is about the men. The wells represent the women, The fountains represent the man. And the wisdom here is straightforward. It really is a very straightforward message. Sex is for you and your married partner of the opposite sex. Full stop. Sex is for you and your married partner of the opposite sex. In the culture at this time, water was precious. Water was valuable. Wars were fought over wells. Wars were fought over water supplies. So the writer is saying the water in your well, your partner, is valuable, is precious, is worthy 
of delight, is worthy of praise. Drink deeply and enjoy it. Your sexuality, when expressed in marriage, is a precious and a valuable and a good thing. On the other hand, he's also saying the same same passage, you don't go around drinking from other wells. You don't go having sex with someone who you have not been married to, who you have not been joined together in one flesh, which is what it says in in the marriage ceremony, as you know. Your sex life is not to be pursued with anyone other than your wife or your husband. Any more that someone in this culture would pour water into the streets. It's too valuable. Why would you do that? Or drink from somebody else as well. How offensive, how terrible to do. He then goes on, he talks a little more. Go back to verse verse 18. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Verse 19, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Wow. Who said the Bible was ever boring, eh? Did you ever imagine that sort of language was in the Bible? Hold on a moment. better. There was a bit more water in there than I thought. Um, and I've checked in a number of the translations. It's the same language. It's the same thing in there. This is the language of intoxication with love, with sex. This is erotic. This is the language of being drunk in love. This is a raging fire. And I am reminded to praise God for his word, for his Bible. I thank God for every word in the Bible. I particularly thank God for these words in his Bible. And I just praise him that his word is sufficient and that words like that are in there for to point us in the right direction. Someone say amen. Thank you. There could be a bit of enthusiasm there. But anyway. um, we should not be embarrassed by this stuff. We should not just... Quickly rush past it. God has made marriage as a good gift. He's made sex within marriage a good gift. He's made it to support marriage. He's made it an integral part of it. It deepens and binds together a man and a woman. Read the Song of Songs. It's a couple of books further on from Proverbs. Uh, There's a beautiful picture in marriage put forward there. And if you're looking for an application here, If you are a married couple, if you want a straightforward application, have more sex. Okay? It is a good gift from God. It is meant to be delightful, to enjoy relationship. So, have more sex. You can tell them your pastor said so. It's okay. God doesn't hate sex. He created it for us. But perhaps you are here... And you are not married. You are single. And sometimes you would think that churches were only interested in married people. We do, we make a big deal sometimes of, of folks getting married. And yes, we rejoice that marriage is a good gift from God. But choosing to remain single and celibate is also a good thing. 
Paul, you may know Paul was one of Jesus' followers, said this in, in the Bible. He said, I wish that all of you were as I am, because Paul was single, he wasn't married. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, one has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. This is Paul talking. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So, to be clear, both marriage and singleness are good before God. But if someone decides to remain married, then in the words of the Song of Songs again, a couple of books on, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. That's one of the little taglines in the Song of Songs. It says it three times. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Stay celibate. Yet for many of us, these two alternatives, a joyful marriage or a joyful singleness, are not our experience. So, let us think a little bit about our next main thought. We often misuse the good gift of sexuality. One writer, Tim Keller, you know we, we like Tim Keller here, reflects on what sociologists have called And this is a big word, the commoditification of sex. The commoditification of sex. What that means is the tendency in modern society to make sex a commodity, an object. To separate it from the person so that it becomes an entity in its own right, a thing in its own right. And this is something that can be bought and sold, it can be treated on its own. And our sinful nature, the sinful nature inside of us, the rebel in us says, yeah, that makes sense. You know, um, God is just so restrictive sometimes. And we turn away from his teaching. Pick your own words here. You can, you can use your own phrase. Something like, God's teaching is just so boring sometimes. Or it's, or, or it's just not cool. In the 70s, it's just not ace. And we grew up in the 70s. Um, it's old-fashioned. It's intolerant. It's not who I am. I can pick my own path. Who are you to tell me how to live my life? Why not? Because this makes life much more interesting, doesn't it? it makes it much more easy. If anything is permissible, if any sexual sin is permissible, if we can take up and discard relationships, if sex is nothing more than sex, then adultery, fornication, sex between people of the same gender, pornography, sexting, you can add to the list, is all okay. And we... We like to listen to the people who say that's okay. Because that, that, that's good for us. That, that takes away our guilt. If, if other people, if experts and sociologists whoever say that's okay, then that makes us feel okay and we reject the teaching of the one who made us. We reject the teaching of the one who created marriage. We reject the teaching of the one who made us what we are. 
And so we see it in all kinds of ways. This, this part of Proverbs was written about adultery, but I think it can very fairly be applied to all kinds of sexual activity outside of marriage. Paul, again, again, Paul writes in a different book in Romans. He says this, Therefore God gave them, people who, people at that time, over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is to be praised. So, let's continue keeping there in Proverbs chapter 5. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. Why, my son? Again, remember this is a father giving advice to his son. Why, my son? Being intoxicated with another man's wife. Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord. And he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For they lack discipline. They will die, led astray by their own great folly. Nothing is hidden from God. He knows everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we do. We're not fooling him. He knows when we're breaking his good and right laws. And the penalty is death. Perhaps not death in this world, but certainly death and suffering in the next. But with any kind of sexual thing, we, sin, we sort of think to ourselves, you know, we can cope. I've got this. We, we can cope. Okay, I've got it under control. Maybe we say, you know, we, we've got it covered. I, I'm okay. I can stop this whenever I want. No, like Paul said in that passage in in Romans, we've created our own little gods. We've made that sexual behavior, we've made that other person an idol. We've made them a god and they have enslaved us. You may, you may think I'm being approved. You may think, you may not believe me. You may think I'm just wrong. You've got it under control. You've got it covered. Okay. If you've got it covered, if you're in control, stop it. Stop it right now. Give it up right now and turn to God and what he designed for you in terms of sexuality. And yes, you may have your, your I won't say reasons, your excuses. Oh, oh, she listens to me. She understands how I feel. Oh, he makes me feel so validated. You are enslaved to a false God. And we're going to look at some ways in which you might be able to break away from that in a minute, some, some practical ways, but resolve today, right now, to stop it. Because you can see, see how it works. Click over a couple of pages into Proverbs chapter 7, just a couple of pages over, over in the Bible. Let's just, let's just camp out in uh, Proverbs chapter 7 for a minute. Don't look down into verse 6. Uh, verse 7. Uh, I saw amongst the simple, remember the simple here is what... Solomon is saying these are the the people without wisdom. I saw among the simple, I noticed the young man, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. The lady there is someone who's going to commit adultery. Uh, there are lots of ways to walk through a town. There are lots of ways to walk through a city. You don't have to walk down one particular path. And this is 
pointing us to something in terms of sexual sin when we, very early on, we realize we are on a path. We are on a way. We are, we are going a particular direction. And we say, I can cope. I've got this covered. Or, or even better, we think, well, I can walk past, but I won't go in. Yeah, I can get close, but not that close. And boy, we love doing that with sin, don't we? We love to say, well, if I get that close, it's not sin. And, you know, and we're like, it's playing like chicken, you know, it's like, I get, if I can get right up to the edge, I would never do this, I'm scared of heights, by the way. But like the edge of a building, you know, get right to the edge. Yeah, how, how close can I get my foot and look over the edge? Um, to me, for someone who's scared of heights, this is totally the wrong behavior. You know, this is totally the wrong behavior for us with sin. Get as far away as you can. Don't stand near the edge. Something terrible may happen. Don't think, how close can I get? Think, how far away can I get? How, how far away can you get from that house? We should be getting off that path, turning around, walking a different direction. Chapter 7, verse 10, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed as a prostitute and with crafty intent. This young man, he's got no wisdom, and now this woman has stepped out to ensnare him, to trap him. You remember Joseph, when we're talking about Joseph and Potiphar a few few months ago now, I guess? What did Joseph do? He ran. He hit the back door. He even left his cloak behind. He was in such a rush to get out. In the Bible, it says, flee the desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Don't stand. Don't try and be strong. Run. Get away. And and what does she do? Just just jump down to verse 21. You can see more of that there. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with smooth talk. He couldn't hear them if he wasn't there. And yet that that smooth talk, that persuasion, again, is another step on the line to sexual sin. We're on that path. We realize we're on the path. Now somebody's persuading us. A website is persuading us. Something is persuading us. Avoid that house. We are not in control. You will have to pay a cost. Friend, you are going to have to pay a cost. Just while we're in Proverbs, go. you've been in five, been in seven. Let's do the chapter in between. Go to verse chapter six. And look in verse 27. I love this. Chapter 6, verse 27. This is a great... I love mental pictures. This is a great mental picture. See what mental picture this conjures conjures up for you. Verse 27. Again, this is talking about adultery. We can apply it, I think, to all sexual sin. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So it is, so, excuse me, so he who sleeps with another man's wife, no one who touches her will go unpunished. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. And I think that we can see four costs. Just when you look through Proverbs and, and again, we could spend a 10-week series on this kind of stuff, so we are, we are really packing it in here. But, but um, again, I think you can say that there are four obvious costs, at least four, 
to sexual sin. One, it drains your life. The best years of your life are given to someone else, to something else. And that person or that thing is just leading you to hell. That is all that is happening. It it drains your bank balance. To be honest with you, your wealth is transferred to somebody else, to another house. It might be the expensive gifts that you are buying your lover. It might be subscriptions to a pornography channel. Whatever it is, the money is leaving your house and going to another person's house. Why are you doing that? That's mad. It destroys other relationships. It destroys other relationships. For men, it encourages us to objectify women and sex. For women, it encourages you to objectify beauty and to manipulate others. It distorts how we see each other. It distorts our relationships. And in Proverbs, whether you're looking in chapter 2 or 5 or 6 or 7, it makes it clear that unrepentant sexual sin leads to death. This does not lead to eternal joy. Someone who, who is wise knows the path they are on before they get on it. Uh, we were talking about, we were talking this weekend about caravanning. Okay, we're thinking of maybe buying a caravan, we don't know, thinking about it. And, and I was waxing romantic about, oh, wouldn't it be fantastic to get to the end of the street in the caravan and decide, are we going to turn left? We're going to turn right? We will go where the road takes us. Uh, whatever that may be. Have you seen some of the places in the UK you could end up? I mean, have you actually seen some of the places? Have you ever been to Hunstanton? You ever, you ever been to Newcastle under Lyme? Sea houses. Don't go there. This is not the path of the wise. This is idiocy. Just getting onto a path and thinking to yourself, oh, I'm going to end up in the... No. I'm sorry if these are your favourite holiday places. I can't actually imagine anyone going on a holiday to Newcastle under Lyme. I know, I know occasionally you do to Hunstanton or Sea Houses, but let's not get too caught up on the place. The point is, the path... Know where you're going when you get on a path. Know what the end point is. Well, we talked all too briefly about sexual sin when the foolish have stepped after it. However, let's also be honest, you may be in a marriage that you feel is loveless. Please hear me. Please hear me. This is not God's design for a marriage. There are so many possible circumstances about that, why that may be. It would, I could not speak to them all now. What I will say is this. Do not keep it secret. Look for help. Come and talk to people. Come and talk to us. Talk to your Christian friends and seek their counsel, seek their advice, see what it says in the Bible about wisdom. Watch the film Fireproof. We hope they would encourage you. Or it may be that you're here and you have been the victim of sexual sin. Again, let me be very, very clear. There is no condemnation for you in this. Like all of us broken ones, and we are all all broken, like all of us broken ones, Jesus invites you, come to me. Be healed. Be made whole again. Come and be made whole again in my light 
and in my love. Do not delay. Do not believe the lie that you are not worthy to come. Do not be pushed away from this wisdom from God. Instead, lean into it. Lean into his healing. Lean into his love. There is so much more I could say about that. Please come and talk to us afterwards. Or, perhaps you are here and you are in an abusive relationship. There is nothing, nothing, hear my word, there is nothing in the Bible that says you should stay there. Get out to a place of safety right now. Do not hesitate. If you do not know a place of safety, come and talk to us, we will find one. There is never, never, ever an excuse for domestic abuse. Flee to safety now, today. Well, just before we get to our final point, let me just offer you, uh, this is the book of Proverbs. It's going to be fairly practical. Here's a few things you might find helpful uh, in addition to those points we've already talked about. Uh, sexual sin is progressive. Okay? So, it, first of all, it's something uh, very uh, apparently innocuous, very innocent, apparently, although it isn't. And it progresses down the track, and it gets worse as it goes. So bear that in mind and look out then for early signs. Okay? As I was saying, flee a little bit. Hear that warning sign. Hear that warning sign. Observe that warning sign. Hear that warning. When you see that, get away from it quickly. Uh, find people you can confide in that can you hold you accountable, like the lifeguards, the lifeguards at camp. Find your wise counselors who are going to challenge you, who are going to keep you accountable. Sin loves to be hidden. It loves to stay in the dark where it can grow and be away. It, that's an illusion, of course, like, like they said in Proverbs. God sees everything anyway. But find those people who can uh, keep you accountable. Perhaps you're tempted by online pornography. It is exceptionally common uh, consider investing in some software like Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is software that will report on what you're browsing to someone else. It will keep you accountable when it's very hard to be kept accountable in other ways. Uh, if you're here and you're a parent, if you're here and you're a youth leader, think about what you teach the children who you're responsible for. Teach them and model for them this kind of sexuality that's talked about here in Proverbs, in the rest of the Bible, so that they, they might enjoy the good gifts that God has for them, whether that is singleness, whether that is being married. Let me just reiterate, folks, we all feel sexual temptations. All of us all of us are in some way not what we should be. But we have, if we can get wisdom into our heart, ways of fighting that temptation, of living a life which is pleasing to God, of enjoying these good gifts that he has given to us.
unfortunately, we've gone over so much stuff so quickly. If you, if you do have questions, if you do have further questions, please, please come talk to me, or Ian Jones, or Luke, perhaps the Christian friend who brought you. We'd love to talk about this more with you. We'd love to answer your questions, to discuss where you are. But finally, and just, just more briefly, let's think about how we can be moving towards this good gift of sexuality. As I said, none of us are what we should be sexually, sexually, and like any sin, we can leave here and we can try, and we can try as hard as we want to. But ultimately, fall short. All of the applications I've touched on, hopefully if they've been helpful, will not really address the issue in our heart. And until we address the issue in our heart, we will not really move towards this gift. We need something more if we're going to enjoy this God-honoring practice of our sexuality. Marriage is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and the church, between Jesus and Christians. Singleness is a God-honoring signpost to others, of faithfulness to the one true God. If those things are true, how can we then do this without God? How can we make it work without God? How can we have a sexuality that is God, that is what God designed it to be if we ignore God? If we do not follow him? If we do not trust him? As Luke was saying last week, it is our hearts that need to be filled with wisdom, not just blindly following a set of rules. And that wisdom is what what we want to grasp and to implant into our hearts. That wisdom comes through trusting God, through trusting his design for our sexuality, his design for us. It comes from knowing that in our hearts we all fall short of this good design, this design that he has all of us, certainly I do, This wisdom comes from knowing that in Jesus we have all the wisdom that we need personified. That in the Bible we have the wisdom that we need. That we need to put our trust in Jesus. Why? Because he died to take away our sin. In the context of this talk, he died to take away our sexual sin. He died for that. He rose from the dead, so we don't have to feel guilty about that if we have put our trust in him. Wisdom comes from knowing that even in our brokenness, even in some of the perhaps terrible things we have experienced in this area, that Jesus is enough. He is enough for us. Wisdom comes from saying, I'm sorry. I want to try better to follow this path. I want to follow, in this, the case of this, I want to follow more closely to the sexuality described in the Proverbs. I want this good gift, whether that is a good gift of sex in marriage or the good gift of singleness. I want that wisdom. Please, Lord, I trust in you. Now that is wisdom. Let's pray together.